pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, Lisa Bond, one of the many reasons we love you is that with 90 minutes worth of rehearsal every week, Lisa teaches the choir so that we can hear the words behind the music, right? It's not to be taken for granted with church choir. So, Chancel Choir, we love you because you make this magical marriage of melody and meaning every week. We can understand what you're singing about. It's such a beautiful thing. So Lisa's job is to help us to understand the words within the music. But I take it as my job to help you hear the music within the words. I want to introduce to you a couple of words that marry uh, melody and meaning. Words that are understood in the ear even before they get to the brain. Have you ever asked yourself, what is the most beautiful word in the English language? The most beautiful sounding word in the English language. My vote is for the word silence. I could be persuaded to vote for the word mystery. Lo, I tell you a mystery, writes St. Paul. Or whisper. Mellifluous is a beautiful word. Mellifluous is a mellifluous sounding word. If you didn't know a word of English, you might be able to guess what the word murmur meant. How about the word bombastic? It's not very melodic, but it gets its point across, doesn't it? Now, the ever-helpful internet is quite handy if you wanted to compile a list of the ugliest words in the English language, like scab, blog, curdle, fetid, honk. Ironically, pulchritude, which is one of the ugliest words in the language, means beauty. By common consent... The most unpleasant-sounding word in the English language is moist. I don't know why. (laughs) Silence, whisper, and murmur, some of the most beautiful musical uh, words in the English language. You probably have your own ideas, but I hope a few of you at least would vote for the theological word atonement. I want to talk to you about its meaning and then about its melody. We use the word atonement, of course, to talk about the work of Jesus Christ, what God was trying to accomplish during the brief span of Jesus' earthly existence in his life, death, and resurrection. And what the church is trying to say when it talks about atonement is that Jesus builds a bridge over the yawning chasm which separates us from each other and from God. What Christians believe is that Jesus Christ breaks down the barriers that divide us from God and from each other Jesus realigns the dislocations that keep us so apart from one another. You remember how C.S. Lewis imagines hell in that beautiful book, The Great Divorce? C.S. Lewis says hell sprawls. It sprawls out to the farthest horizon because neighbors keep moving further and further apart from each other. They cannot stand each other. So they move as far away from their neighbors as is possible to get. And I think sometimes when he describes hell, C.S. Lewis is describing the 21st century condition, right? A condition of loneliness and isolation and insularity. You might live on the 13th floor of an apartment building or in a 1,200-square-foot home next to I-94 in one of the most densely populated metropolitan regions in the country, and yet you might feel distant from your neighbors. You might feel alone and isolated and insular. And even God is nowhere to be found. 
And what Christians believe is that Jesus chips a breach in the walls separating us or collapses the distance between us. Choose your metaphor. And there you have the melody of the word atonement, the music behind the word, because we pronounce it wrong, right? It should be atonement. That's where the word comes from, and that's what it means. Jesus Christ leads to atonement between us and with God. Did you know that in the English language there was a day when one was a verb, the number was a verb? And so a minister marrying a young couple might say, I won you, I make you one. And that's what Jesus does for us. Paul says in his letter to the Galatians, In Jesus there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, there is neither Christian nor Muslim. Jesus didn't say that, but he would have, right? And that's what it means to follow the Christ, to realize that you are at one with God and with your neighbor and with the other, no matter how other the other might seem sometimes. And most of us work really hard at this, right? We work really hard at building communities that are peaceful, fair, and just. But not everyone. There are some who are chipping chasms between us, prying us apart. Aunt Becky, really? Say it isn't so. And a housewife who really is desperate. You know what's so upsetting about the audacity of this college admissions scandal is the recklessness, the heedlessness, the callousness of these folk. Not a fleeting thought for the disciplined middle-class son of school teachers or police officers who deserves a seat at the University of Southern California. So, if you had $500,000 sitting around that you didn't know what to do with, and your daughter didn't want to go to college anyway, why wouldn't you invest it in an S&P 500 index fund, earn some interest, send her on a trip around the world, and give her the money with interest when she turns 22? Just last year, in December, the professional journal The American Lawyer named Gordon Kaplan one of the deal-makers of the year. Mr. Kaplan had been co-chair of Wilkie, Farr & Gallagher, a global law firm in New York with 700 lawyers. Mr. Kaplan lives in Greenwich, Connecticut. He paid $75,000 to arrange for a smart adult to take his daughter's ACT test so that her score would rise from the 22 she was getting on her own on practice tests to the 32 that would get her admission to Cornell, her father's alma mater. Mr. Kaplan told Rick Singer, the crooked admissions counselor, I'm not really worried about the moral situation here. I just don't want to get caught. Dealmaker of the year. I guess so. We can never be at one with each other unless and until all of us play by the same rules. Why does money get you a free pass? <laughs> it happened in Christchurch. How's that for a bad joke? Christchurch. In Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. Christchurch. And this process of at one had been working so well 
in New Zealand, this stunning landscape, this serene and Pacific island in more ways than one. Peter Jackson brought the stunning landscape into our living rooms with the Lord of the Rings. Fifty people died. That's more firearm deaths at one stroke than have died in New Zealand in the last seven years. The Kiwis invited all these Muslims from war-torn Middle Eastern lands to come to make a new home in a safe place. And they came from everywhere. They came from Egypt, Syria, India, Kuwait, Jordan, Afghanistan, Pakistan, and Somalia. Someone described the two mosques in Christ Church as a united nations of Muslim Kiwis. It happened in Christ Church. That's the first bad joke. The second bad joke is that this act of terrorism happened on and because of social media. Social media. These things are so wonderful, aren't they? Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. The people who made those are geniuses. Mark Zuckerberg is a genius. He made Facebook to bring us together. I wonder how many old friendships were reestablished and new friendships created because of social media. Match.com, OkCupid, these are instruments of atonement. Ironically, extremists use social media to pry us apart into warring camps. The last thing some people want for the human community is for us to be at one. They want us to be distinct and discreet and separate. Now, some of these folks are Taliban and ISIS, and others are white supremacists. But they all work to pry us apart. It will not work. It cannot work. My new hero, Jacinda Ardern, she said many of the victims had chosen to make New Zealand their home, and it is their home. They are us. Yes, they are us. It happened in Christ church. Because in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither Christian nor Muslim. Jesus doesn't care how much money you have. Jesus doesn't care if you went to the University of Southern California. Jesus doesn't care if you're a Pharisee or a tax collector. Jesus doesn't even care if you're Muslim or Christian. He just wants every last one of us to learn the lesson about the sometimes hidden but always indisputable fact of our oneness, that we are all the same. Ali McGeed is the bone marrow specialist at the DeVos Children's Hospital in Grand Rapids, Michigan. He is the go-to transplant guy on the western side of the state of Michigan. Ali is from Egypt. He was educated at the University of Alexandria in Egypt and at Emory University and the University of Florida in the United States. And so he was working at DeVos Children's Hospital with a 12-year-old girl who needed a bone marrow transplant. She must have had leukemia, right? And Dr. McGeed got to talking with the mother of this little 12-year-old girl, and the mother said to Dr. McGeed, they got to talking about Im immigrants and refugees and so forth, and the mother said to Dr. McGeed, I, I just wish all those Muslims would go home. 
And Dr. McGee said to the mother, would you like me to go home before or after the transplant? We can't make it without Dr. McGeed. We all need each other so much. They are us. Yes, 